We are in 1 Samuel chapter 23. 1 Samuel chapter 23. 1 Samuel chapter 23, reading from verse 1. Then they told David, saying, Behold, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah and are plundering the threshing floor. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack, attack the Philistines and deliver Keilah. But David's men said to him, Behold, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we go to Keilah against the ranks of the Philistines? Then David inquired of the Lord once more. And the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go down to Keilah, for I will give the Philistines into your hand. So David and his men went to Keilah and found the Philistines, and he led away their live, livestock, and he struck them with a great slaughter. Thus David delivered the inhabitants of Keilah. Okay, so David now, remember, he had been anointed king at a young age, somewhere probably around 12 or 14, something like that. He'd been anointed king, but he's never really responded as a king directly. He had fought many battles for King Saul, but remember this, this group of men that he has with him. We read about this in, in uh, the first part of 1 Samuel 22, that there were 400 men that joined his ranks. It says these men who had joined his ranks were discontent, were in debt, and uh, uh, generally discouraged in many ways. So it said that they, they, were, they were in debt, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was in distress, and everyone who was discontented. So this is the 400 men, and in fact, by this time, it may be 500 or so, because soon we're going to see it's 600. So it's en route from 400 to 600, so maybe about 500 men he's got with him. But they're not particularly great soldiers. These are men that were just discontent with the whole system. And a message comes to him that the Philistines have made a raid, are fighting against Keilah, and are plundering the threshing floor. So in other words, this isn't a direct attack on the city as much as it, as it is on the threshing floor. So where they would go to, to thresh their wheat. And, and there are these, in, within Judah, you, you can go and, and there are these mountains there, and the wind picks up. Just, just before sundown, so about an hour or two before sundown, the wind picks up in these, in these high hills, quite high wind. And I would say, oh, maybe 30, 35 mile an hour winds pick up. So it really gets quite windy, and it's, and it's routine. And so, so they could thresh the wheat there very easily, where you, where you break it and you throw it up in the air, and the, the, the wind would blow the tra- chaff away, and the seeds would fall down. So here they're, <clears throat> they're reaping in the harvest, and the Philistines come and they attack the threshing floor, meaning that the Philistines are attacking in order to get food. So this was a common thing, and we see this many times in the scriptures, where it was during the harvest time that armies would come in and attack and raid, so that the, 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 uh, the Hebrews had done all this work to grow the food and everything, and then these raids would come in, and, and uh, so the Philistines in this case were coming to steal the food. So, so it, it, it was this raiding force. And so they come and they tell David. Well, why do they come and tell David? Saul is still king over the land. 
and he still has the army, but they probably felt that they were going to get more response from David, because David is from the tribe of Judah, Kila is in Judah, and they thought they'd get more response from David than from this Benjam- Benjaminite Saul, who's just obsessed now in his life with killing David. This is what he's got his army doing. It's not so much to protect the Judeans. And so they go and they tell David, and it says in verse 2, So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and attack the Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and deliver Kilah. So there's a direct request of David. And you say, well, how does David hear God so clearly? I mean, you make such a request. What does God speak? Was there an audible voice? Then we're going to see next time exactly how he was hearing this so clearly. Because when, uh, um, when Abiathar, the young priest, had escaped uh, in the la- end of the last chapter, he brought with him the breastplate, the ephod. He brought with him this, this uh, uh, Urim and Thummim, which was a way that God spoke to Israel through the priests. And you could ask questions and you would get yes and no answers from this. And so we'll see further on down about how he's getting such a direct word now. Prior to that, it was prophets that would come and deliver a word to him. So you remember back in, in, in just in, in chapter 22 that, um, that this prophet Gad had come and spoken to David on behalf of the Lord and told him what he ought to do. But now David is hearing more directly through the priesthood. So David becomes the protector now of the priesthood. It should have been Saul, but Saul killed off all the priests except the one now that has fled and come to David. So David's protector of the priesthood, and that gives him now the real inside story on what God wants, because God can speak through, was speaking through the priesthood to David. So David inquires of the Lord. He says, Lord, what shall I do? Should I attack? And the Lord says... Yes, go and attack the Philistines. Go attack the Philistines and deliver Keilah. So now God is expecting David to do something a little bit different. He had never been challenged to do something in a kingly role himself. And now God puts this upon him. In verse 3, it says, David's men said, you know, we're afraid to do that. Remember, they had just come to David not to be an army in and of themselves. They came because they were all distressed and running from King Saul themselves. And they gathered to him. They said, you know, what do we have to do with Keilah? That's their problem. I mean, we're not, we're not the army of the king of Israel. And they said, you know, we're afraid. David's men later, you never saw this sort of fear. They later become a, a very well-trained army. But as a group of men, they had never battled together before. So these men said that they were afraid. He says, we're afraid here in Judah. How about if we go and attack? We're afraid just hiding. You want us to attack the Philistines, it says in verse 4, David inquired of the Lord once more. And the Lord answered and said, Arise, go to Keilah, and I will give the the Philistines into your hand. So David and his men went to Keilah, fought with the Philistines, and he led away the livestock and struck them with a great slaughter. So they had livestock with them because when armies would travel, they didn't have uh, K-rations or MREs in those days. And, and they didn't have refrigeration, so what they would do is they would often bring livestock with them and kill them for food as they needed them during a battle. So David got all of that, and David's starting to build up this infrastructure around him. But what I want to do is I want to talk about some scriptural attributes of, uh, uh, of good leadership. 
Because now what we're seeing is we're seeing David raised up as an amazing leader. He had already been leader, one of the leaders of Saul's army, and then he was made leader of a, of a thousand. And so at a very young age, he was being brought up in leadership. So I want to look at these attributes. What makes, what is it that makes a good leader? And I'll tell you, all of us are going to have the opportunity someday to lead in certain areas. You say, well, you know, I'm not particularly a leader. You're going to have to be a leader, even if it's in your home. Minimally, it's going to be in your home. You're going to have to be a leader. And so there are attributes that God has called us to. And so what, the first thing I want to look at is, is, is as we've seen in, in 1 Samuel 23, is that one of the best ways you can select the leader is you select somebody that is already doing it. So in other words, David was already quite a leader among men, and he's being selected to do this. So you want somebody, say, say you need somebody to teach a Bible study, you know, and and lead in, 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 in in a group to teach a Bible study. Find somebody that's already teaching the Scriptures to people, somebody that's already opening the Word of God and teaching other people, rather than... The, the, the antithesis of, be, of this would be go out on the street and just walk up to somebody and say, I think you should teach the Bible study. We know that that doesn't work, right? So what you do is you find somebody who's already doing it. And this is not just Bible study sort of thing. This can be in anything you want to begin to deal with. You want somebody to take cert- care of a certain thing in your company, for example. Find somebody who's already doing that and then put them formally in that position. So, one of the ways that you select a good leader is you find somebody who's already doing that. You want to put somebody in charge of making sure things get cleaned up, say, in the kitchen. What do you do? You find somebody who's already volunteering themselves to work in the kitchen. And you say, oh, you know, you're here every Sunday working. Could you oversee this and be in charge of this? My wife is really good at this. She finds somebody who's, you know, demonstrates a little bit of leadership in an area, and she will just say, okay, I'd like you to make sure that just take care of this each week. So what you do is you find somebody who's already doing it. Now, remember this. When you get into positions where you have to begin to select leaders for different things. Another attribute that we see directly here in this is that a leader seeks God and demonstrates in that. A leader in God's estimation is somebody who is seeking God. David, immediately when he hears this, he turns around and he says, Lord, should I go and attack? What should I do? And God says, go and attack. A leader is somebody who seeks God. You you know, every day in my children's life, they knew that their dad would, that, that I was going to wake up early and I was going to seek the Lord. So at the bottom of the steps, I would be there with my Bible, and they knew, you know, if they were ever feeling sick in the morning or anything, they would just open the door and come downstairs. They knew that their dad was going to be there. In your home, you have to set a pattern of the one who seeks the Lord. Proper leadership, in God's estimation, is one who seeks the Lord. The mother and the father should be ones that demonstrate to their children people who seek the Lord. Your children will follow your example. They will follow your example. If you are lazy in seeking the Lord, if you're slow in seeking the Lord and inconsistent in seeking the Lord, your children will follow your example. They will follow 
your example. And, and you, you know, I, I have spoken to, to, uh, to parents, and I, and I see this in the children. You know, one guy was once showing me this, this, uh, this radar detector that he had gotten for his car. And, you know, he was really proud of this because then he could speed down the road and, and he'd have this radar detector. I said, well, why would you want to do that? He said, so you don't get caught. I said, well, what if you just do the speed limit? Then you don't have to worry about it. And I said, here you are praising this thing in front of your kids. And what are they going to do? They're going to start speeding around too because they're going to think, they're going to follow the pattern that you follow. They're going to do what you do. They will do. Good leadership seeks God. So much so that in verse 3, when his men said to him, hey, we're scared. So David didn't right away say, well, we're doing it anyway. He heard them. He says, hey, he heard that they're scared. So good leadership was listening. But then he didn't just stop there. He went back to God. He says, you you know, my, my men say that they're scared to go. So he asked God again, are we really supposed to go? And God says, you go. And so what did the leadership do? What did he do in good leadership? He chose to follow the direction of God rather than choosing the direction of people around him. A good leader will choose the direction of God over the direction of people around them. And you don't know that unless you seek God. If you're unwilling to seek God, you don't know this. You think, well, you know, if God had wanted me to go, he'd have my men agree with me. They obviously didn't agree, so that must be a sign. No. Maybe it's not a sign. And as leaders in your home, you will make a decision. You will make decisions in your home the direction that you and your family are going to go. You will make that decision. And, and uh, uh, you will demonstrate that. And people will follow your lead. Your children will follow your lead. You know, you know it's, it's interesting as you watch your kids go through teenage years and they start then getting their own homes. You see, they really do come back to the foundation of what you've laid upon them. And uh, uh, what you demonstrate, they will follow. They went to the Lord. And even when things were frustrating, you know, when I would wake up my kids in the morning for our family devotions, I mean, they, many times, they didn't want to do it. But I knew what God was calling us to. And so I would say, no, you know, we're going to do this. Let's get moving. You know, and, and they'd come down for family devotions early in the morning. This is what we would do. You follow a pattern. So just because people contest doesn't mean that this is the will of God. The will of God was clearly different. There's, there's other patterns that we see in the New Testament about how you attain, how do you get into areas of leadership, whether it be in your work, whether it be in the kingdom of God, whether it be in activities in the church. How do you get into areas of leadership? Look in, into Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. And Jesus gave us a tremendous lesson on how one attains leadership. How does one become in charge of other things? In Matthew chapter 25, he gives us this. Read down in uh, verse 19, Matthew 25, 19. Now after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The one who had received five talents came and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. 
You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Okay, so in that, in that, uh, um, in, in chapter 25 of Matthew, he starts out, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like this. And he starts giving examples. So this is one of the examples of the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus says in this that the master comes back and he says in verse 21, well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Faithfulness brings you into leadership of being in charge. If you are faithful, people will grant you to be in charge of things. If you are faithful. If you are faithful, people will grant you to be in charge of things. So what is faithfulness? Faithfulness means that people are, can depend on you. That you faithfully carry out this work. That people depend on you. Let me give you an example that, that, that touches us right here. All of us, all of you have opportunities to serve. You all have opportunities. And if you say you have no real opportunity, you're really not looking. Let me give you an example. There are people that come consistently here each week. I don't know, maybe, uh, maybe they get here at 7.45 or so. And they help to get the breakfast ready. So when Shireen comes, they're cutting up food and everything. And they are faithful in that. And Shireen, there are people that she can depend on. Now, there are others that come occasionally. They may, may come. They may not come. But there are some that come every week. They are faithful in that. And so what happens is, God sees this, and He says, you have been faithful in a few things, I will put you in charge of many. You say, well, what does preparing breakfast have to do with other things in life? It has everything to do with it. Because God sees this, He sees faithfulness, and He brings you up. Now, there are many ways that you can serve on campus. Faithfulness means that somebody is depending on you so that if you don't deliver, the group suffers by your not being there. If the group doesn't suffer by your not being there, you don't have a faithful role of service in that particular activity of the group. So in other words, if somebody is depending on you to bring desserts for a meal, for example, and you don't show up, people are going to miss you. But, if, you're, you, but if, if you've never committed to bring anything and you don't show up, nobody particularly misses you. There are acts of faithfulness. Now, your boss will see faithfulness and he or she will give you more responsibility based on your fulfilling of acts of faithfulness. What we see here in the scripture, Jesus gives us the kingdom of God is like this. He's giving us an example of the, what the kingdom of God is like. It is just like this in the practical world. When I work with students, if I ask them for something and they repeatedly don't deliver, after a while I just forget about it. They just move right off my radar screen. And they wonder, well, why don't I give them time like I give other students time? Because they're not faithful with me. Because I've just disregarded, because I don't feel like what I've given them what I've entrusted to them, what I've spent time teaching them about and asking them to do, they do it. So I just ignore them after that. I have many other students that I can give my time to. Your boss will see this. You want to be promoted in whatever your career is. You be faithful in the little things, the small tasks that you have been given to do. You be faithful with it. And there are tendencies in, in life that can make you 
get promoted very rapidly if you're faithful in doing things. If you have a job where you have to punch a clock, if you get there on time, your boss will recognize it. And if you don't run out as soon as it hits 5 o'clock, your boss will see that. If you're faithful with things, you will be brought up. And I know this, that, that when it comes time when there's layoffs and there's cutbacks, if you, the people who are faithful are not the ones who get laid off. They're the ones that, who, that are retained. You don't have to worry about getting laid off in hard times if you've been faithful. Now, if the company's going out of business, God will find something else for you. Or, I, I, I can give you other examples. There are some people in my group, when they graduate, they have been so good and so faithful, I help them, I open up jobs for them. I'll call up a certain organization, I say, I have a student here, you have to hire them. In fact, if you do not hire them, you are an idiot. This is a tremendous person, they will help you come. And so what do they do? They trust me and they open up a position for this person. So that even when, the, when cutbacks are coming, they will find a position for you. If you have made yourself so valuable, they will do that. This is job retention. Jesus then goes on, and just in case we didn't understand this, he goes on further in verse 22 of Matthew 25. And the one who had received the two talents came and said, Master, You entrusted two talents to me. See, I have gained two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Exactly what he said to the person that brought five talents. One person was given five talents. They got five talents more and they received reward for being faithful. They were put in charge of many things and entered joy. One person had received two talents. He said, well, you know, my job's kind of small here. It's insignificant. God sees it. God sees it. God sees what you do. It's a smaller job than the person who had five talents. However, they were faithful with what they had been given. Jesus gives them the same reward. He said, you have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things and enter into the joy of my master. Faithfulness brings joy. Those who are not faithful are more discontent in their jobs. They really are. If you're not faithful, you'll have discontentment in your job. So faithfulness, in God's estimation, is a path to leadership. If you are faithful, it is a path to leadership. I have known guys that have come in and set up chairs every morning in churches. Just set up chairs. Nobody particularly even asked them. They would just, and so much so they would do it every week, that everybody just became dependent upon them, that, oh, that person takes care of it. The janitors didn't even have to do it. That person just came in and did it. Those guys, as I've watched them through their lives, have just moved right up on into leadership. Because they took on a task and they just faithfully did it every week. They didn't need somebody to tell them to do it. They just came in and saw the need and they did it. All right. Another attribute of, of, of uh, leadership is it's somebody who cares. Somebody who cares. Look in, in John chapter 10. John chapter 10. John chapter 10, verse 11. John 10, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd laid that, lays down his life for the sheep. 
He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, I, I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. One who is going to walk in the attributes of God's leadership is one who cares. It's one who cares about the organization. I have had people in my research group that really care. You know, if, if something's broken, you know, they, they, they immediately go and they tend to it. They don't just say, oh, it's broken and just kind of turn around and walk away. I had a secretary that, that uh, um, she didn't care. She just didn't care about the office. I don't know what she had on her mind. You know, there'd be papers on the ground in the office and I'd come in and I wouldn't say a word. I'd just demonstrate it to her and I'd walk in and I'd pick up the papers, you know, the, you know the, the, these little, when you, you, when you do hole punching and there's these little circles all over the ground. I'd come in and I'd pick it up and I'd throw it in the trash. And I'd come in the next day, I'd pick it up and throw it in the trash. She'd just sit there and see me. She just didn't care. And it wasn't just that. It was issues, little things that she just didn't care about that you would normally think that somebody's going to care. And I had very little regard for her after a few months. Very little regard because she didn't care about the establishment. She didn't care about the place of work. I have graduate students that work for me. Some really care about the group. And you know what happens is that I really care about them in return. And I make sure they get a good job. I will open up jobs for them because I care about them, because I know the organization that they get into is going to really like them. And these other ones, you know, I don't help them very much. Go find a job. And my letters for them are, you know, kind of mediocre. If you care about the establishment, if you care about the group, this is a sign that God has for you Areas of leadership to move you into. It depends on how much you care about this. Do you feel that, well, you know, I'm just a hired hand, it doesn't, doesn't matter. How much do you care about this? If I'm walking into church and I see papers on the ground, I care about that and I will pick them up and throw them in the trash. Why? Because I care about this place. It's like I care about my own home. I come home and I see some papers have blown up on the front lawn. I stop, I get out of the car, I pick up the papers and throw them out. You know, because I care about that place. Why? Because I paid a lot for that place, so I really care. I'm invested in that. When you care about some place, you feel invested, and then people see that, and you can be brought up into leadership. Jesus said, you know, I'm a good shepherd. The hired hand just sees the wolf coming and just flees. You care about this place. God really cares. You know, if I see something's not working... You know, I right away go and, and, and make some phone calls or go speak to, to Mike, Mike Bonham, who's in charge of, of making sure things like that get done. I'll say, you know, here's a problem. There's, this thing in the church isn't working. You know, this is something we have to tend to. Here's an issue. You know, I want to do that. You say, well, that's not particularly my job. It's not my job. I don't have a job here, really. I mean, my, I guess it's just like your job. I just come to church. That's all I'm supposed to do. But I take upon myself because I care about this place. And what God does is He blesses other areas of your life. Look what He said. He said, you've taken care of a few little things. I'm going to put you in charge of many, and you're going to enter the joy of your Master. I mean, all of us want, you know, we want joy in our life, right? Who wants misery in life? 
All right. Nobody wants misery in life. People generally want joy. Here is the prescription for joy in your life. You be faithful. You care about things. And you will have joy. Or you can, you, you can go to a psychiatrist and sit there. How come I just have no joy in life? Well, why don't you get out and do something for other people and you'll start to have joy in your life. Mother Teresa, who was always doing stuff for people, was never sitting on a chair to, with a psychiatrist saying, how come I never get anything? Nobody ever does anything for me. No, when you're giving out, you get joy because God promises it. Here's another thing. You, 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 view, you view it as service, not as, as, as dominance. So let me, let, me, let me show you what I mean by this. Turn to John chapter 13. You're doing this as service to God and as others. So leadership, leadership is not dominance. It is service. You view it as service and not dominance. You know, one, one day when my daughter was small, she came to my office and, and one of my students walked into my office when she was there and he said, hey boss, you know, we've got to do this, this, this. And then I said, okay, and he left. And she said, I want them to call me boss. <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny. Because, you know, people want to be called boss. Well, what does it mean to be in leadership? Look at John chapter 13. Let's start reading. Um, well, we'll start reading from verse 5. John chapter 13, verse 5. Then he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Okay, so that's John 13, 5. Now look down in verse 12. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you ought to also wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should also do as I did to you. Truly I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Okay, so he says, I want to demonstrate to you what lordship is, what teacher means. It means one who serves. Leadership is service. You know, I spoke at a, at, at a Chinese church recently, and, and uh, um, so I, I gave this, this evangelistic message, and, and so there was this meal where they brought in a bunch of, of, of Chinese students from campus, and... And uh, then, then I gave this evangelistic message, and then it broke up into small groups, and different people were witnessing to them in small groups. And it was about 10.30 by the time I was leaving that church, 10.30 p.m., which I know for you is you're just waking up at 10.30 p.m., but for me, that's kind of late. And I see the pastor of this big church is there, scurrying all over, making sure everybody's you know, in their place. I mean, this guy's there at 10.30 at night. He's the pastor of this church. He isn't just, you know, walking out and, and saying, well, you know, uh, you know, I did my nine to five and I'm going home. What happens? I mean, this guy really cared about that place. And that was a buzzing place. I mean, great things are happening. So leadership is service, Jesus says. You want to be a leader? You learn to do things for other people. Leadership is service. That I am doing things for other people. It is not lording over. Turn to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. Jesus puts this 
in beautiful context. I mean, Jesus says things so explicitly. I mean, he is direct and he is explicit. John, uh, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 20, reading from verse 20. Matthew 20, verse 20. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to Jesus with her sons, bowing down and making a request of him. And he said to her, what do you wish? And she said to him, command that in your kingdom these two sons of mine might sit, one on your right hand and one in your left. But Jesus answered, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? And they said to him, we are able. And he said, my cup you shall drink, but to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give you, but it is for those to whom it has been prepared by my father. And hearing this, the ten became indignant with the two brothers. So these two brothers were James and John. So James and John were the sons of Zebedee, and their mother was active in the circle around disciples of Jesus as well. The mother wasn't one of the twelve, but she was active in the group of disciples as well. And so the mother brings James and John before Jesus, because it says the other ten were indignant when they heard this. So this is James and John, two of the, the twelve disciples. And the mother says, I have a request. And Jesus says, oh, okay, what do you wish? And she said, command that in your kingdom these two sons of mine may sit one on your right hand and one on your left. This was a Jewish mother. You know, <laughs> she's just going to make sure that her sons are in the right place. And can you imagine those two boys? They're like, Mom, come on. <laughs> this is really embarrassed, I'm sure. And, and, you know, she's pushing them forward. And she's saying, these two sons, command, because what does Jesus say? He says, ask and you shall receive. You know, so she's asking. I mean, nothing wrong with that. Jewish mothers are going to ask. They're going to do this sort of thing. And so she's asking. He had told us to ask so that we could receive. She says, fine, make, make these guys sit in one on your right hand and one on your left when it comes in your kingdom. I mean, she's certainly a believer. She believes the kingdom is coming through this man. He says, that's not in my power to give. That's going to come from the Father. He says, are you able to drink the cup that I can drink? They said, yeah, we can drink it. He says, you will drink it. Remember, James was the first to be martyred among the twelve. James was the first to be martyred. John was never martyred because he, unlike all the others, stayed at the foot of the cross. They fled, but he came back to the foot of the cross. He never had to prove his devotion. All the others had fled and they were martyred. His proof of devotion was right there, but he was banished to the island of Patmos. His brother James was the first to be martyred. Nonetheless, the other ten, when they heard this, they were indignant. Like, who do these guys think they are? You know, they're, you know there's twelve of us and these two want to be in charge now. Look what Jesus says in verse 25. But Jesus called them to himself. He said, You know the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and the great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He says... You know, in the world, people want to lord it over each other. That's how the Gentiles work. He said, this is not to happen among you. But leadership is service. 
the greatest among you, he says, you want to be great, you be a servant. And the greatest among you is going to be such a servant, he's going to have to be like a slave. Leadership is service. You want to be a Bible Bible study teacher, you prepare for those Bible studies and you serve in that capacity. You want to be a leader, leader is service. Leader means that you do things beyond what you are called to do. This is leadership. And people will quote to me, in a, it, sometimes in Ephesians chapter 5, it says, Man is head over woman. Just above that, in Ephesians chapter 5, it says, You are su- to submit one to another. You are su- to submit to each other. And it says, Man is the leader of woman. And in this context, it means you serve them. You serve them. When you have a relationship with a young lady, young man, you move that relationship into a proper way. It is up to you. Even if the woman does not understand physical limitations that should be going on, you take that and in service, you define the parameters and discuss these with her so that you don't go too far. Leadership is service. Leadership is giving of yourself for another. This is the signs of scriptural attributes of good leadership. Leaderships are, leaders are doing it already. They seek God. They listen to others, but ultimately are going to do God's will. They're faithful in the small things, care about the organization, and view it as service to God. This is not just, just service. This is service to God. Why am I doing this? Because of Him who gave Himself for me. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for Your Word, for the truth of the Scriptures. And I pray, Lord God, that You would take these young people, help them to see the attributes of what it means to walk in service to You, so that they may be good leaders. Father, I pray that You would teach them about these qualities of leadership, to take on responsibility, to serve in little things and demonstrate faithfulness so that they may be put in charge of many and may receive joy in life as well. Father, your grace be there, I pray. The grace of God upon these young people. In the name of Jesus. Amen.